You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, and there's huge cash prizes up for grabs all the time. This week is jam-packed with action ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front row seat to all of the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every single night, and it's really simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. It's really simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. You assemble a lineup of players while staying under the salary cap, then sit back and watch your points pile up. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its users across all sports, and they're the leader in daily fantasy sports. There's no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That code is THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings, minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See at DraftKings.com for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the In the Dome podcast. Apparently, we're good now. We should plan the parade. You just beat the worst team in the league, 6-3. Um, barely won the Corsi 4 battle. Barely won possession. You still got a chance high danger-wise. But, but apparently, we're good. The season's turned around. Everything's good. Apparently, it's all good from here. It's just, you know, it's finally worked, you know? It's smooth sailing. The process has finally paid off. All that trust that we've been doing with trusting the process is coming to a point now where the fruits of our trust and our, and you know, like the season it's, we're out of the darkness. Yeah. It's all good from here on in here. Listen to this clip of Jeff Ward. This is today, right? Is it not? I guess this this is your off day, February 28th, Sunday. Um, presser with jeff ward based on how the season's turned around now all of a sudden because we fucking beat the worst team in the league after getting absolutely embarrassed uh the night before by the worst team in the league but apparently the the process has worked have a listen jeff i asked you something similar last night but i mean all along uh through the ups and downs you know you guys have talked about sticking to the process either way and, and believing in that process um do you feel like there's been sort of affirmation about this process working um over the past sort of week yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we've we've used the same process, uh, you know, for a year now, um, and we, you know, we believe in it, and you know, it's given us good results, and I think the guys have confidence in it. And the other thing that really does is it, there's always a place that the guys can come back to. You know, it, it gives them a little bit of stability. They understand exactly where they need to look if things aren't going as well as they they want them to, and uh, you know, it takes that it takes a lot of uncertainty out of the way for them. So. You know, for us, uh, 
you know, we stick by the process. It's something that we believe in. Um, and it's a good place for us to start when things aren't going well. I mean, I guess this is a bit of a, a strange one, but I mean, it's just, it's interesting because like the media narrative is always about looking for turning points in that one game where, you know, everything clicks and it all changes, but that, that really isn't what it's about. Eh? It is about this process and going, doing the work every day. <clears throat> yeah. It's about the process for sure. You know, and, and what exactly goes into that process, the guys are comfortable with it. Um, they're committed to it. And, you know, as a result, um, they have confidence, uh, in sort of where we need to go when they, you know, when they look through that lens. Okay. Uh, the process, the process, the process, the pro they said, pro do you know how many times they said process? In the, I, in the midst I of that, stopped uh, counting after five. I stopped counting after five. I counted eight, eight times. How do you have a conversation about something and say the word process eight times? It's just absolutely ridiculous. What cracks and me what up is the process. That's what I was going to say. Like nobody thinks to ask, okay, what could you give us a little bit of detail on that there, bud? Hey, uh, Jeff, um, you and the media seem to be talking about this process uh, for about a year straight now. Could you elaborate a little bit? What is the process? And how can you say it's been giving you good results? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I what mean, results? You said that you've been getting good results from the process. The players believe in the process. They have confidence in the process. What is the process? Again, here we go. Here, here's Sean Monahan being asked about the process. Just like a, a week ago, obviously you guys were coming off a couple of tough losses, and, and and the mood, at least around you know those of us who cover you, was was uh, was, was pretty bad. Um, you guys talked about sort of sticking with the process, and and um, you feel like the way that this week has gone has sort of affirmed that that the process is working. Yeah, I mean we got to stick with it, and I mean there's going to be ups and downs, and I mean when the as a team, you don't want downs to last uh, very long. So, I mean, I thought uh, yesterday was a good effort by our team. And, I mean, you want to be in the win column. So, that, uh, that was an important win for our group. And, I mean, we got to keep that mindset moving forward. Okay, more process, process, process. Here's one more question um, from Danny Austin. Have a listen. Jeff, looking back sort of at this week, starting with Monday, um, ultimately, you guys have now sort of – you've gone to one-on-one, -on -one, got five points from a possible eight. I know there's still work to be done, but – does it feel like the corner is beginning to be rounded? <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, it's always the, the perception is the most important thing. And you look, you know, you look at the stretch and like you say, it's two one and one and probably with uh, everything everybody's been feeling, you know, you feel like it was on five. So, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you got to keep everything in perspective and it's, and now, you know, what we're worried about is, is putting a good game on the ice again, uh, you know, on Monday and, it's funny how you, when you just worry about your process and you're focused on that, how, you know, things will look after themselves. And it, this week for us is a, is a good learning lesson, obviously. And the other thing too, is that, you know, it's part of the schedule where we knew it was going to be heavy. So, you know, I think it's important that our players uh, get familiar with that. And there are certainly some things that we can take from it. Does, I mean, you talked about the process and sort of with everything that you just said, I mean, does a game like today where I don't want to say things go your way, but um you know, it does turn out well for you and you are rewarded for sticking to that process. I mean, how much value does that just have? Well, it has some value. I think it helps with the confidence a little bit, but you know, the biggest thing again is that, uh, you know, we've got to get ready to play Monday now. So, you know, we have to have a short memory, you know, take what the take from the game, what you need to and move ahead and, you know, get ready for the next one. So that's, uh, you know, we can relax a little bit tonight, but you know, later on tonight, we got to start uh, getting ready to, you know, to play well again on Monday. Okay, uh, the corner has been rounded, folks. We rounded the corner. 
Can you, you know, believe it? All it took was to get dominated by the Leafs for two games, get out shot, however it was, get out chanced, however it was, rely on world class goaltending to barely squeak, squeak out a win twice, and then get shellacked by the worst team in the league, respond with a win. And now the corner of the season's rounded. It's rounded, baby. And I like how he like just had to keep things. Hey, just had to keep things into perspective. Here's some that's, per- that's all. <laughs> Here's some perspective for you. Okay. The last four games, here are the high danger scoring chances for and against. Against the Leafs, your three nothing win. Flames had three high danger chances. The Leafs had eight. Um, the loss, the Leafs, the two one overtime loss. The Flames had six high danger chances. The Leafs had twelve. The crushing at the hands of the worst team in the, in a century in the Ottawa Senators, six to one. Flames had five high danger chances. The Senators had eleven. You know that big corner you rounded yesterday with that huge win? Yeah, you got hot out chanced eight to five. Wow, that is so. If you put that in, that's some perspective, man. You know, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised everybody, you know, it, it seemed like it was, you know, such a down moment in the season that last week. I, I'm surprised. Can you believe it? I it's can't believe how- that people are emotional about, you know, getting your it, ass handed to you and being in fifth spot. It, it's funny how when you get dominated, outchanced, outshot on a night to night basis, people seem to think you're not very good. It's unbelievable. I like how that's the other thing too about this funny accountability thing. It's like that's what cracks me up about when like Tree Living comes on too. He's like talking about how little they think about what the fan base is thinking. Like we look at our process, our thing's the only thing that matters. So I was like, oh, I'm really glad I spend my time and money invested into a team who doesn't give a shit about what I think or feel. It's it's good. But the other thing is too is like oh, inside our it's like you're surprised that people are upset and wanting to hold you accountable for being one of the worst teams in one of the weakest divisions this season. That's surprising you. What are you talking about, Jeff? Where's the accountability, my guy? I thought that was the cornerstone of this organization. And how come, you know, lacking in this whole process that everybody's referring to is doing an in-depth analysis of your team on a night to night basis. Because if you're looking at what we're looking at, I don't understand how this can be a turning point of anything. Well, again, the, they beat the Senators. <laughs> you beat the Senators and we're acting like it's run some 10-game winning streak. Remember when Gullitson threw his stick, had his stick freak out? That was his yeah. thing. He was like, you won one game. You think you're on top of the world. It's one effing game. And he fires his stick. I agree with Glenn on this one. It's one game. Can we no. just, can we stop pretend? Like, again, like, what do you think? Let's, I, I keep coming back to Tortorella because he is such a polar opposite. Let's say this is John Tortorella was the coach. The flames have been in this spiral. They beat the senators and they're asking John Tortorella about the performance. Do you think he'd be like patting everyone in the back, jerking himself off about the process that he's created. That's so great. You think he'd be trying to like calm everybody down and be like, see, told you, there's nothing to worry about. Torch would be like, we were dog shit, man. We've got to be better. All we're focused on right now is being better because it's one win. We're going to be better. We have to be better. That's what you would hear from a team that a team and a coach that has like a really a winning mindset. Like that's Dude, like, it, that's like coaching one one right? Yeah, you don't like, it, you, you just sucked for weeks. You get one win and it's every, Oh, everything's great. Like now is the time for a little bit of tough love, Jeff. It would be one thing if you actually won the high danger battle, the high yeah. horsey battle, the puck possession battle. If you come out and dominate the Senators, like destroy them, that's one thing. But I mean, the Flames won. They played okay. But again, we didn't play that good. You just played a team that sucks. 
that's pretty much why you won. Matt Murray, like he sucked. Yeah, he was not he like was not that, good. The Valamaki goal probably shouldn't have gone in. The Lindholm goal probably shouldn't have gone in. Um, I guess the Monahan, that's a good shot, but it's still a pretty that's a pretty distant shot by Monahan there. Like you could probably count three of those six that Matt Murray probably should have had, right? So this whole self-congratulatory our process is breaking through shit is just like okay, it's a, let's calm down here, people. What the thing is, is what process? Like if you're looking at underlying numbers, you're still getting dominated. How is this? How is this a measurement of success is my question. And like what literally this just goes to speak to Jeff Ward's only breakdown of the performance of his team is what he can gauge what their emotional, you know, investment is on a night to night basis. Things that are literally (laughs) exactly. It's like, oh, Gio woke up this morning. and was really pumped. And that's why we won. What? I mean, did you make any adjustments? Like what tactics, what are these taxes? What are these basics, these fundamentals, the tactics that you guys have been working on? What goes into this, this medley soup, this secret soup of process that apparently nobody's privy to nobody dare ask about. Why doesn't anybody say, Jeff, what, like, I noticed you made some adjustments in the neutral zone um, yesterday against the senators. Could you tell me about those? You could tell me how they worked. You were, you, you scored two goals off the rush. You seem to be a bit more successful in your zone entries. What's going on there? Something like that. Like, no, no. I noticed the pro you guys talk about the process a lot. Yeah, we do. The process is great. Next question. Yep. The guys believe in it. See, it's starting to work now, isn't it? I like how it's just weird. I like it when he gets asked, you know, basically. So is this turning the corner now? And Jeff Ward laughs at first glance, like, oh, he's laughing this off. Like it's, we're not even close (laughs) to turning the corner. And she's like, okay, thank God he's laughing that off. But that's not why he's laughing. He's laughing because he's thinking that it's ridiculous that everybody's freaking out that your team stinks. So you have you suffer a 6-1 shellacking at the hands of the Ottawa Senators, which rightfully causes the chick a little response from not only the fan base, but the rest of the hockey world. Listen, like when the, the fan 960 yeah. suck. Go ahead. When the fan 960 guys are coming on the afternoon show and absolutely ripping this team. That tells you something about the temperature of this this hockey club. Yeah, no kidding. Outside of the Toronto series, in your last three opponents, you've lost 5-1 to the Canucks, 7-1 to the Oilers, and 6-1 to the Ottawa Senators. Are those three great teams? I mean, the Oilers are playing well right now, but not 7-1 well. But we're turning a corner, though. I guess all they had to do, as long as you're getting, as long as you're trusting the process, if you're losing six, one, five, one, seven, and one to the teams worse than you, it means you're going to turn the corner. Just keep doing it. Just trust that system. Just believe. So the reason why we spend so much time on an opening like this is because watch what's going to happen in the next two weeks. (laughs) Like, do you think this, this team has actually turned anything? No, I think no. How can you like, look at how can you look at how they played yesterday? Again, they played fine. Did they dominate? No. Like, what did they do so well yesterday? Not really anything. They got some puck. They finally started scoring some goals, which this team does desperately need to do. But I mean, I don't know how you can look at a six-three drubbing of the worst team in the league, where you didn't perform 
incredibly well and say, yeah, we've turned a corner. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I get it. Six, three win like that. Look, you know, maybe the score speaks to, you know, six, three wasn't even as close as maybe the game was, but look, it's something to build off for oh, sure. Yeah, exactly. It's not nothing, but for, I don't, I don't understand how anybody in the media can be like, Oh, I guess we're good now. Right. Coach. You guys are good now. Yeah. Like, good? And again, what kind of framing of the question was that? That's exactly what it was. We're good now. Aren't we coach? Yeah, we sure are. All right. <laughs> oh, so look, the, the best biggest takeaway from the win is that Jeff Ward finally smartened up and put Elias Lindholm back with Monty and Johnny and put the three M line back together. Yeah. And that's pretty much like, geez, only took you 22 games. And it, it, people kind of forget, like, do we not remember last year when he had Michael Backlund playing on the right wing for like 86 games oh, and Backlund literally had to say, dude, I'm no good here. Put me in center. It was like, it was the last resort. And then, oh, wow. Three M lines back together and they're making hay. It's like, what a shock. So now that the, the biggest adjustment is those two lines back together, as long as he keeps them together, because now you actually have two legitimate NHL forward lines and maybe those two lines can outplay the ridiculousness of this system. And I think more than anything, that's what you saw yesterday. You saw the 3M line dominate, and you saw Gaudreau and Monaghan and Lindholm score some goals at 5-on-5. Five five. That's what you saw. That's the breakdown. And as long as, you know, you have to you have to put together a third line, right? Like every team has to put together a third line. So if you're looking at, I mean, you said this before we started this today if you're going to have the two lines that you've been rolling out with where you have one and on some nights two guys belong in the top six in the top six with Backlund on the third line you can't keep Backlund playing third line minutes with with you know that big of a gap that big of a hole in your top six he needs to be bumped up I don't give a shit if Lindholm's more effective at center or not you just you can't yeah, you can't have Michael Backlund, who maybe on other teams isn't in the top six, but you can't have one of your only top six guys playing bottom six minutes and playing with guys like, again, I'm not trying to shit on Lucic here, but Lucic does drag him down. You can't have one of the, your most effective forwards being dragged down by Lucic and Dubé right now, um, especially when he is one of your forwards who does the most heavy defensive lifting and the most play driving. So again, everybody's like, Oh, but Lindholm's your best center. Yeah. I mean, well, if he, if you want to play him at center, go get another top six right winger than Brad, because Lindholm is your best right winger and you can't have backlink. Like there's no way Michael Backlund is a bottom six forward on this team. Jeff tried this strategy last year. Like you can do it if you have the personnel, right? If you're Tampa Bay, you can do things like put Blake Coleman on your third line. When you're Calgary, this spreading the wealth thing doesn't work because you're neutering your offense because you really only have six and it's probably a, it's probably one of the weakest top six in the NHL. So like when you have such a weak forward group and apparently when you're not going to play the guy I thought was supposed to come in and help that in Josh Levo, you're not going to play him for some absurd reason. You can't have Michael Backlund playing in the bottom six. If that means you have to move Elias Lindholm to the wing, you have to do it. You can't not at this point. The the, the renewed 3M line absolutely dominated the game as far as expected goals for. Let's go over some of their metrics. Michael Backlund was the top performer. 
Well, again, and I was saying, oh, what a surprise. It's like, oh, you finally put Backlund in a position where, you know, he's not being weighed down by Lucic and Dubé. He's with his line mates who he's like, again, it's not like the 3M line has been like a good line or an okay line. Like last year when they were together in the final uh, third or whatever it was of the season, they were one of the best lines in the league. Elite. Like elite. So again, this has been one of my things with Jeff's um, management of the lines. It's like you have a known quantity, especially in the 3M line, you know, that works. That should be your first go-to all the time when things aren't working is go to the 3M line, go to Lynn home with Joe Monahan. So I, I don't think it's any surprise that we see <laughs> that we see the Lynn or the, the 3M line absolutely dominate. They're easily your best line last night, almost 60% goals for expected goals for all three of those guys were awesome in pretty much all three zones. All three of those guys were awesome in all situations. Manjipani gets a shorthanded goal. Kachuk gets a, was that a power play goal? Yeah, it was right. His tip goal. Was it? I think it was, I think it was five, 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 oh, five. Okay. Anyways, all three of those guys were great. They all work well together. And you know, like, especially the fact that Kachuk, because that's one of the things I think was kind of getting exposed with Kachuk being up against top quality competition with, with, and it's not like Lindholm's a bad skater, but Backlund and Manjipani can motor. I think Kachuk works a lot better with those two guys than he does with like, say Lindholm and somebody else, or even Lindholm and Manjipani. Just because those guys do skate through the neutral ice really well. So I think Kachuk benefits from this probably more than Backlund or Manjipani, but uh, yep. just having that line together again, it's the only, it's probably the only elite line this team has had since, <laughs> since Froelich was in his, his heyday and it was Kachuk, Backlund and, and Froelich. Like, that's the only elite line you've really had in a, in terms of play driving in forever. So putting them together is a no brainer for me. And then it actually stacks up your, your third line in a sense where you can reunite Bennett with uh, Lucic and Dubé. And it's just funny, right? The amount of success that they had in the playoffs. Um, and then you, you roll it, you, you basically, you start this, you end the season on a high note and then you start the season, you break them up and then it takes 22 games to re- reunite them as well. So not saying that they're the best third line you can roll out on this team, but if, if you need to draw from that third line in Michael Backlund to make your top six better, then how does this not make you give you the most next effective third line possible? Yeah. Like you said, it's not the best, but that's because this group of fours is not the best. It's the, it's the best you can do with what you've got, except I don't know why you can't use Josh Levo, which is absolutely absurd, but I mean, the fact that fact alone that Jeff has broken up like things that worked for some unknown purpose to fit hit however, whatever he wants really kind of tells you all you need to know. It's like none of the lines that worked so well last year were together to start the season and it took 20 games to put them together. I mean, even the Luce H. Dube uh, Bennett trio was together in that game against Vancouver played awesome, got a goal next team. Sam Bennett's on the fourth line. Stupid. He did the same thing last year. He tried to break up and mess things up. And it's just like after 10, 12 games and your season's falling apart, it takes the players to tell them, look, can you just go back to the way things were? It's obviously not working, man. Yeah. Do you remember the lines that he had? He had Lucic with Gaudreau <laughs> and Derek Ryan. And then at, at the after that, he had Monaghan between Backlund and Gaudreau. Okay, put take your best center out and, you know, put him on the right wing, but whatever. But yeah, the, the thing to me, the Lindholm, I know everyone's making a big deal about, oh, Lindholm needs to be center. As long as this 
current Ford group is lacking this much. Michael Backlund needs to be your number two centerman. And that means Lindholm has to play on the right wing. And again, say what you like. The f- <laughs> I've been beating this drum for a little bit. Lindholm is the only right winger Gaudreau and Monahan have ever had ever. And he scored almost 60 goals with those two guys just because you want him to play center. And I don't even, I don't really even understand this obsession with getting him to play center. Like, has he been so good at center this year that it's just like unfathomable that he shouldn't be on the wing? Like well, he's been yeah. good. But I mean, what's, he been, on, what's he doing on, at center that he's not doing on the wing? Yeah. Like the problem is that this team, and I think a lot of the fan base want and think he wants him to be and think he is Patrice Bergeron when he's not like Elias Lindholm is a very good top six forward, but like, that's where, that's where I push back against people like, Oh, he's the best center on this team. I don't know if he's the best center. He's one of the best six forwards, but the way they've been using him to limited success this year, again, he's been able to handle it, but I think his, his offensive production has suffered a bit. They've been using him like he's Patrice Bergeron. He's not Patrice Bergeron. Stop trying to make him be Patrice Bergeron. I just don't understand this. He's a good player. He's a good two-way player. He's not an absolutely elite Selkie guy who's going to dominate that middle of the ice every time he's on the ice. Like, come on. So the best place for Lindholm right now is on the right wing if you draw Monahan. Unless the GM goes out and does what we've been saying for 28 million years and goes and gets this team a legitimate top six forward, this is the best look your top six is going to have, in my opinion, and I think in your opinion, too. Yeah, and um, look, I get it. He gives you more depth down the middle, but at what cost? I mean, yeah. if it's going to dilute your lineup and then you're not as effective, you don't have much pop, and you're losing games because of it, it's not worth it. Look, if you want to roll out Lindholm, if you want to put Josh Lebo into the top six or on Michael Backlund's line on the third line or something, then we can have a conversation about it. But when you have to have it, then if you drop Backlund down to the third line and then have to have Dubé or whoever, and I mean, Dubé has been struggling. If you have to have him in your top six, or that means your third line is, the, or if Sam Bennett in your top six, and that means your third line is Lucic, Backlund, Dubé or whatever, like that's no good. So unless they play Josh Levo, this is the best the top nine is going to look. And I mean, Kent Wilson has talked about this, uh, uh, making a case for bumping Monty down to the third line, third line center instead of Backlund, right? Yeah, like that would be the appropriate adjustment. Obviously. That would take having to split up Monty and Johnny, which obviously is never going to happen, but um, you know, that might make more sense because then you could shelter, you could shelter that line, right? Like Michael Backlund. The thing is that in order for that to work, you would have to do an excellent job of coaching matchups (laughs) and line management. So it's not going to work under Jeff Ward. No, not at all. Kent Wilson makes an excellent argument of, you know, laying out a, a situation where it could be excellent. Well, and again, that's what I've really failed to grasp of why Jeff is trying to do this spread the wealth wealth thing, because he's not even then turning around and utilizing the matchup discrepancies, right? Like he's yeah. not, oh, we have an offensive zone face-off against this team's fourth line. Let's throw Gaudreau and Monaghan. It's like, oh, okay, let's throw like it. He's not using, he's not using the advantage of what that gives you correctly anyways. So why even do it? I mean, he has been sheltering Monty and Johnny more this season than than last, which has been a, it's been effective. Go figure, right? Shocker. But beyond that, right, the capability of him to to really like win games through matchups, like we just haven't seen it. No, we haven't seen it at all. And 
again, I think, again, we can talk about Elias Lindholm being a center all day long. To me, this is a more fundamental discussion about Michael Backlund and how he's being used. Um, and yeah, you, you, you can't have Backlund in your bottom six with this current group. And like you said, where the fuck is Josh Lingo? It's ridiculous. He scratched for both games against Ottawa. And like, I'm just curious. Can, do you think you can take a stab at this? Like, try and put yourself in Jeff Ward's shoes and tell me why Jeff Leo is not getting minutes. Well, the thing that's so curious is like, okay, the guy starts the season on the top line with Gaudreau and Monaghan. Plays good. Then they move him around. They put him with Lindholm and Chuck. Plays good. Then he's like the third shooter in the shootout. We're all like, oh, Josh Levo. Then we he's gone. He's banished forever. That was the fall from grace, eh? There, there's your, uh, you know, penthouse to shithouse analogy again with with uh, Jeff Ward. Josh Levo, the guy that probably shouldn't have been in the shootout at all, you know, is your third shooter. Over Johnny Gaudreau. Who's on fire. Who did win a, end up winning the game anyways. But then that's it. Because Josh Levo couldn't, you know, pull out a clutch goal, he falls off the face of the planet. And the other thing is, too, like, unless there's, like, an underlying thing with Levo where he's not feeling 100, like, I don't think so. Like, he's got to get some reps in. He should be getting reps in now to be more effective later. This guy's coming off a huge, horrific injury. You'd think you'd want to play him more and more and more. And, like, what, because he took a penalty in the Vancouver game or something? Like, you're never going to see this guy again? That's literally all I can think of. This is so low resolution for Jeff Ward pretending to be, like, a tough love coach where it's like, Oh, you can't be taking penalties or turning the puck over. Well, unless your Lucci, name's fucking Milan Lucic or, uh, or Nordstrom. Nordstrom. Those guys play, are carte blanche. You yeah, can you can play like shit over. if Let's you're those two guys. But if you're Josh Levo and you make one mistake in your two minutes of ice time, you're out of the game for you're out of the you're out of the league pretty much. Yeah, Joachim Nordstrom take as many penalties as you want, bud. Like Milan how- Lucic, turn his puck over as much as you want. Josh Levo, sorry, press box for you. Like the fact, again, the fact that Buddy guys like, but it wouldn't even be as bad again if he had depth. But the fact that guys like Buddy Robinson, Joachim Nordstrom, Glenn Godden, like go down the goddamn list are getting in over Josh Lebo, who is a legitimate top nine NHL skater, no doubt about it, who was brought okay. in to help this team score goals is, is nowhere to be found. It just blows my mind. Let's look at some of those under, underlyings. Look, in the last four games, he had three minutes of ice time against. The Leafs in game one, Ridiculous. five minutes of ice time against the Leafs in game two, healthy scratched for in the, in the past four games, he's got eight, eight minutes of ice time. So let's go over, over some of his underlyings and make a case for why this guy belongs not only in your lineup, but probably in your top six, if not for sure, your top nine easily. So like, okay, the team can't score five on five. They've been one of the worst scoring teams, five on five this league this year. Right? Like they can't buy a goal five out of five. What is it? In like their last six losses, they've scored like one goal every game. You're dying for some offense. Josh Levo, right now, five on five. I'm going to give you his metrics and his team rank. Shots per 60 minutes, almost eight shots per 60 minutes. That's fourth on the team. Individual with, with, with eight minutes um, of exactly. ice time every four games. Individual expected goals. So essentially a shot quality metric. He's eighth on the entire team. Eighth. Individual contributions and sort of shot attempts. Fourth. He's fourth on the team at five on five. This is on the team. There's only three guys this year who have been shooting the puck more than Josh Levo. 
Individual scoring chances per 60 minutes, fifth. He's fifth on the team in creating scoring chances for himself. Individual high danger scoring chances, sixth on the team, five on five. Where is this guy? Give me a break. The thing is, is like he's doing this with it with bottom six minutes, and in most nights right now, it's fourth line minutes. And again, he's doing this coming off a horrific injury. Like the dude has barely played any hockey the past year. The thing is, is like you have to consider underlying numbers in this specific instance to help make your team better. And then look at his, you know, expected shooting percentage. It's in the shitter, which means just like Mangiapane, right? Listen, Mangiapane is a perfect example of how you should be utilizing Josh Levo. If you look at Mangiapane for the first, what, 12 games, his underlyings were great, but his counting stats sucked. He didn't have any goals. He had, what, a couple of assists. He wasn't getting on the score sheet. And I even said to you, I'm like, look, you could have great underlyings all day long, but unless they eventually turn into counting stats, nobody gives a shit. Well, probably within a game or two of saying that, Mangiapane, the goals start coming. They start coming. Every, like This guy scores pretty much every game right now. The same thing should be said for Josh Levo. If this guy continues to get the, the ice time, the goals are going to come. But the thing is, he's not getting the ice time. He's not even getting games. It's it's ridiculous, especially when this team is so is so weak <clears throat> up front. Like it's just it's on especially when this team is so weak on the right wing for natural right hand shooters. I just don't get it. And I get I don't get why nobody asks about it. It's like, where's Levo? Like what it what in God's earth is the possible upside of playing Buddy Robinson over Josh Levo? Well, yeah, exactly what you're saying especially when here's your alternative fourth line rolling out. Joachim Nordstrom, Glenn Gollum, or Buddy Robinson. Which is easily the worst fourth line in the entire league without even a question. And just look at the number, their, their underlyings in the last game. To Dude, prove that. Joachim Nordstrom, I don't think he's had one game this season where he has been above water. Every time he's on the ice, he's getting crushed. Every single game. And you know what? I don't give a shit. Everyone's like, oh, he kills penalties. Okay, the Senators the Senators scored three power play goals yesterday. And again, how much skill does it take to kill penalties, right? Like, the the you suck everywhere in the game, but you kill penalties. That's why you're getting ice time is the dumbest argument I've ever heard. Kind of shit, eh? Like, Guys, what are you- killing, killing penalties is simple. Take away the, the the passing lanes and get in front of shots, and you know you got like you communicate with your teammates. It's not fucking rocket scientists. <laughs> like, just as an aside note, I don't think I've seen a worse hockey player in my entire life than Joachim Nordstrom. Have you? Look, oh man, it, like, it, he's like, so bad. It's it's unreal. The thing is, is. I get it. From from the eyeball test perspective, it looks like he works his ass off and he he mucks it up a bit. But if you you know, is that good enough when you compare it to what his under, underlyings are? His underlyings are atrocious. They're not NHL caliber whatsoever. Dude, he's literally the worst in almost every single metric, especially defensively, that you can that you could like every single time this guy is on the ice, he's getting cratered. I'd like to see what his numbers look like in the AHL because he might not even be an AHL player. I don't think he is. That's what I'm saying. Like, watch, do it, do an ISO cam. I know he plays like however many minutes, five on five. Every time he gets the puck, it's like, you know, have you ever played in like a game where it's like you are out of your element, 
Like I remember playing with like a, a higher up team one time when I was a kid and I was like, I couldn't, you know, everything's faster and you can't really do anything, but like kind of just like dump it in and get the hell off the ice. Try, That's what try, he, to, try to make no mistakes. Exactly. That's what he's like. He's just so out of his element. It's unreal. Right. So if you're a player like that, what are you really contributing to your team? And again, we would not be going on this, you know, this tangent about how bad Joachim Nordstrom was if he wasn't getting playing time over all these other players that makes your team worse. I get it. Josh Levo not being in the lineup, inexcusable right now. I don't know why nobody asks. I don't know what the, like you told me to try to take a stab at it. The best I can do is that he took a penalty and Jeff Ward is playing Mr. Tough Guy shit. Um, and he turned the puck over once. That's all I, that's all I can give you. Because, frankly, based on his play, there's absolutely no reason this guy should not be in the lineup with a team who is this weak up front and for a team who has this much trouble scoring goals right now. Ridiculous. And as, and as long as he continues to be underutilized and out of the lineup, another indictment on Jeff Ward's list. And, again, we've seen this before. Like, it's the 27 curse, eh? Like, Austin Zarnick last year. Dude comes yep. out has a baller start to the season lights out. And I think Levo is miles better than Austin Zarnick, but Zarnick comes out, starts lighting it up, had a great preseason playing on the three M line with, uh, with Kachuk and back looking great, feeling good. I mean, he got hurt and then we never saw him again ever. And they continued to throw a reader, Ronaldo, Jankowski, even though those guys were terrible, we never saw Zarnick again, ever gone, gone forever. I mean, you asked me this, what does Chris Snow do? Obviously he has this, you know, this information. Does he, is there no relay between him and the coach? Maybe it's just him and the GM to help him put together a roster. Like there's no, you know, he doesn't play a part in managing the roster in season. I guess obviously not. He doesn't give the coach valuable information and know who should be in and out of the lineup on a night to night basis. Obviously not. Obviously the Flames analytics department is not that involved in day-to-day operations. Even if it was just an eyeball test, who would you rather have killing penalties, Josh Levo or Joachim Nordstrom? Well, again, that's what I keep putting back to is like, do we really have to get into the underlying numbers to come to the conclusion that Josh Levo is a much better hockey player than Joachim Nordstrom and Buddy Robinson? (laughs) Like, I don't think you really have to do much thinking or watching to do that. Like, Go watch the first five games of this season. Every time Josh Levo's on the ice, I liked what I saw. I, th- I can think of a shift in the in the game against Montreal where they won two nothing. He was playing with Lindholm and uh, Kachuk. Looked great. Kept the Canadians hemmed in their own zone. Had a few shots. Had a few good chances. Like I don't get this. Like look at Josh Levo's resume even. And the other thing is like he was on record as saying, or Tree Living has been on record as saying, yeah, we've been after Levo for a while, even going back to his Toronto days. So it's like, it's like we say all the time. It's like, what is tree living watching? Is he up there? Just like, yeah. Like, isn't he watching this going, man, I wish Levo was in the lineup tonight. He's, he's looking over at the press box and he sees Josh leaving. He goes, Oh, you're not playing again tonight. Like, is oh, he well. going to, is he going to have the next night? Yeah, exactly. Like, and how do you think Josh Levo's feeling? <laughs> Dude, come on. Josh Levo. There's no way he wants to be in this situation right now. And if this continues, there's no way he wants to continue being on this team. Like, There's just no way. He pretty much straight up said he came to Calgary for the extra 50K because I guess the, the Canucks offered him 700K on a one-year deal. You're telling me he is not regretting that mistake? Holy shit. Eh? Like, you could be playing with Pedersen right now, Pedersen, <laughs> or, <laughs> and you're sitting in the press box in Calgary while Joachim Nordstrom 
is out there flying around like an idiot. Like, come on. This Levo thing really bugs me. It's been probably my biggest annoyance over the past. Again, I wouldn't mind it so much if they were playing good and winning and had guys in front of them. But the fact that you can't get a goal five on five, you're doing nothing. Josh Levo is just sitting there. It just drives me insane. Yeah, it'd be one thing it was a team like Tampa Bay where it's just like, yeah, I guess, you know, he doesn't really, he's making a hard time making the lineup because the lineup's so good. But the lineup's not that, not good. So this is just another case to, for me anyways, that, you know, if you're the head coach, you need to know what you have and you need to know what to do with what you have. And if you're Josh Levo, I think it'd be pretty safe to assume coming into the season that this guy might need a little bit to get going, just coming off a big injury and then like not playing for almost like what a year and a half. Yeah. Like, come on, figure out where you need to put invested, invest your time and energy into in players so that you can maximize your return. It's fucking. Ugh. Yeah. It's absurd. anyways, like, like you said, like we said, as long as this Josh Levo thing continues, it's going to be a major grievance that we have with this head coach, you know, on a long list of already, you know, other things. Well, and just to finish up, like that fourth line, again, they're getting cratered. That's the thing is like, you don't need your eyes. You don't need your, uh, your analytics to look and say, yeah, that's a good fourth line. Josh or Joachim Norsom, Glenn Gaudin, and Buddy Robinson. They get cratered every time they're on the ice. They're a liability every time they're on the ice. They're playing like two minutes a game. Like, go look at even, more. Go ahead. Sorry, but I was going to say, even, even against the worst team in the league. Exactly. When you're up 6-2. Like, come on. Go look at how much a lot poor Elias Lindholm has played over the past two weeks. It's like yeah. he leads the team in like ice time, which is insane. I had to switch broadcasts from from Cassie telling stories <laughs> over the play the entire game to uh, the TSN Gord Miller broadcast. Gord Miller's and, a beauty, and it was funny because he's like, "Here comes Elias Lindholm," and he's saying like, "Oh yeah, Elias Lindholm, he's the team leader in ice time. Very rare for a forward to lead the team in ice time." Uh, no, under Jeff Ward, it's not. Under, under Jeff, Jeff Ward, Ward where you No such him. thing as a rarity, <laughs> except for good decisions. <laughs> Man, Cassie was, holy shit, dude. You know what? These broadcasts are just unbearable right now. Yeah, they're pretty bad. I like how I mean, Rick, I like how Rick literally cuts her off. And then like, oh. she does, she doesn't <laughs> even miss a beat. There's a guy bearing down on the net all alone, like a, a, ch- a chance in front of the slot, and she's still going off about something. I'm like, going to she- the keg for dinner tonight. Shot score. Sorry, Cassie. I had to cut you off there. Yeah, so as I was saying, I'm going to the keg for dinner. Chances are still going around the net. It's like it, it, when she's up there telling these stories, is she not looking at the ice? She just starts looking at Rick? I guess. Hey, it's just like, she's like, could you imagine picture is just like, yeah. So my, my friend, I've been working out at in the summertime. We're working out together. Not, not in person, of course, just staring at Rick ball. It's just like, Rick's like the hell are you looking at? Like, like the plays on. <laughs> oh man, it's getting bad. Okay. So look, we said this before the, the, the send series, it's going to be pretty damn interesting because five, are the next six games are against the senators and you're going to know where you sit. I think, you know, we all have a pretty good guess, guesstimation. We should be coming out on top of this series, <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't even know. Here's, here's your game one breakdown. Okay. Um, Riddick comes out of, you know, the Toronto series um, standing on top of his head. Right. And fuck, I feel for Riddick, right. He's, he's had his struggles. 
you know, in his lack of, you know, lack of player the last year, year and a half. And he, he struggled against, you know, the senators that first game, but you got to remember he's playing his third game in four nights. They're on the road. There's travel. He's playing back to back nights now. And look at the workload he just faced against the Toronto Maple Leafs. He single-handedly got you three out of four points against the best team in the league. And the efficiency with which Jeff Ward completely destroyed both of our goaltenders' stamina is actually quite remarkable. Hey, I'm going to drive Jacob Markstrom into the ground to the point where he's hurt, and then I'm going to do I'm going to do the same thing to Riddick to the point where he's not playing well. That, like remarkable effectiveness by Jeffrey there. It's just outstanding. So the first goal, a terrible breakdown with your fourth line. Oh, shocker. Buddy Robinson can't match the speed of an NHL player coming to, carrying the puck out of their own into the, through the no, neutral zone. Rasmus Anderson completely overcommits, leaves a guy wide open on the, on, the, on the wing. Ritter actually makes a good save, point blank. The rebound is a little too big. But instead of clearing the rebound, <laughs> Giordano tries – to play goalie and plows David Riddick right over before he gets a chance to make the second save. Not only plows him over, like mimics his movements in his crease. Yes. Like, like he, like not only did he try to block that shot, like he thought he was trying to be the goalie there. Did you see that uh, freeze frame that was going around? Yes. It's like, you couldn't even see Riddick. Like literally the, 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 the stretch to make the save that Riddick is making like is the exact like it's like a, a carbon caught co- like geo is Riddick geo right in front of him oh geez yeah while running him over so there's your first goal is that David Riddick's fault no second goal Lucic with his first no look backhand up the middle of the ice of the game because that's not the first of the season but his first of the game no look backhand up the middle of the ice goes off some flame skates before eventually finding its way to Gabranson Branson shoots through traffic. It's a bit of a snipe. Maybe Markstrom has that. Um, I think what we're seeing here is Markstrom tracks the puck much more better than, than yep. Riddick does. Maybe that's because of his height. There's probably different, a couple of different factors. Well, I remember when we talked to Woodley too, Markstrom kind of changed the way he started tracking pucks as that's well. True. He said he's been incredibly effective at it over the past two years. Yeah. So, I don't really pin that goal on. I mean, there's a lot of traffic in front of the net. And it went well, right. again, what the hell is Lucic doing? Again, does Lucic get penalized? Does he lose any ice time for what? I wonder how many turnovers that have led to direct goals that Lucic has been responsible for. Well, and then people don't give him shit about it either. Right? No. Like, that's what no. blows my mind. It's like, oh, it's Lu- like... He literally had two goals in this game, two turnovers in this game that directly led to goals, and nobody even mentions it. And I'll tell you why. Because Lucic then redeems himself with a goal of his own right before electing to go back to the no-look backhand up the middle, his second time in the game up the ice. Between the legs this time. Between the legs, no-look. How many times have we seen this? Now you're back down by two. Like, literally. Yeah. And I know everybody was like saying the turning point was the four, one goal, but that one to me was the killer. And again, has Lucic been sent one message? One, this is my, this is my, and I don't look, I don't really necessarily care so much that he hasn't been sent a message until other players get messages sent 
when other players don't? Why is there special treatment? Why is there preferential treatment? You either you either give everybody a pass or you punish everybody the same. It makes no sense. Well, it comes back to this bullshit that Brad's always talking about accountability. Accountability. Okay, well, there's some guys who are, it's like, it's the flip of Bob Hartley. Yeah. Always, always given, never earned. That's the what. That's what Jeff War's mantra is. Like, is Milan so mentally fragile from last year, where he almost wanted to quit and retire, that Ward can't bench him or demote so, him when he costs you goals, straight up costs you goals, based on ridiculous backhand no look passes at the center of your of your defensive zone that lead to goals. Like, think about the guys who have been punished this year. We know Levo, Dubay's been benched. Sam Bennett, Oliver Shillington, Yusuf Alamaki, Nikita Nesterov. Go up and down the list. There's two guys for, who have, except for two guys. Except for your two biggest defensive liabilities this season. Lucic and Nordstrom. So, like, again, Lucic can turn the puck. Again, I don't, like you said, I don't even care so much. But the fact that then he goes around and, like, we don't see Josh Levo all season because of one giveaway. But Lucic can do it every single game and never face any repercussions. Like, that's bullshit. Especially when then you have the GM coming on and talking about, it's all about accountability. That's all we care about. It's accountability. It's accountability. Like, come on. And then, like you said, the next goal, the goal from outside the blue line, because that goal was so bad on Riddick, people fail to notice and point out that it was Lucic yet again on the same half boards, unable to make a breakout pass, that the puck went right to the other team, right to the guy that scored. Obviously, Riddick has to have that. I mean, I don't have to say that. But that's still a turnover from Lucic. It leads to another goal. And it's still a game in which the team completely hung him out to dry, too. A A third game in a row. Did it go off Rasmus Anderson? Probably. I don't even care. Who cares? Nobody cares. They didn't care. The game was already over. It was done. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you can point to that one and say, oh, Riddick's fault. The game was so far done at that point that who even gives a shit? I'll tell you who gives a shit. Jeff Ward gives a shit. He calls a timeout. (laughs) You You know things are real when Jeff calls a timeout. You know, things are real, real. It's funny, eh? Like, he, he's been better at um, calling timeouts late in the game this year. But last season, it was like, dude, why aren't you ever going to call a timeout? And straight up, Riddick shouldn't have been starting that game. End of story. No, but given the situation, I guess. What Come do you on. Do? Like, you're you're going to start Zaga Doolin? Yeah, every other team in this league has been, has been down to the third stringer. You just played the lease where they had to start Michael Hutchinson twice in a row. Pretty much every other team has had to make the decision to go to a, th- a guy who, I don't know if he should be in that. So, like I said, the efficiency in which Jeff Ward completely tired out both of our goalies is actually remarkable because, again, w- with his decision-making, it always comes down to it's like the lowest resolution, the simplest thing. It's like, holy shit, Riddick just stole us two games. He needs to play, you know? Same with Markstrom. It's like, I'm going to ride this guy ride or die. It's like he has no foresight. He has no planning. He doesn't seem to really, you know, like. Right or kill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and again, in a normal season, sure. You don't go to Zagadulin. But every other team's had to go there. A lot of other teams have had to go to the third string goalies. Like, I don't see why the Flames. Well, I know why the Flames are so averse. Because Ward is scared shitless to do anything but the status quo. 
So where's, where's Louis Domingue? I guess he's still in quarantine because he was at a funeral or something. Oh, you didn't have any, well, I guess if he, you know, I was going to so, say, you don't have any foresight that, you know, you're down to one goalie, but I guess right? if it's, if it's a funeral, he's got to do it. So I would have put Zach Doolin in. Maybe you don't win. You didn't win anyways. And now Riddick. And the thing that cracks me up is all the talk after the game about how Riddick shouldn't have been banging his head and how he needs to keep his emotions in check. Haven't, isn't it all we've heard for two goddamn months about how unemotional this team is and how it's because they lose games. So the one guy who is blatantly emotional, they give him shit for being emotional, but then they're all mad that Sean Monaghan doesn't look pissed off enough after a loss. It's so ass backwards. It's hilarious. Yeah. Basically, you know, this has been the crowning reason, you know, the defining thing of why this team has struggled. The flames need to play with more emotion. Except yet David when, Riddick. Yeah, yet when David Riddick and Matthew Kachuk get angry after a loss or after, you know, in the middle of a game when they're losing, when Riddick gets pulled, they show some emotion. Oh, oh, they really need to control their emotion. Matthew Kachuk needs to control himself, okay? Oh, but Sean Monahan's a piece of shit because, you know, he didn't, he doesn't show any emotion. It's like, pick one of these sides, you idiots. So the timeout, does it help? <laughs> I'm sitting there, Mike. Unless he's changing the system right now, <laughs> unless he's don't... unless he's handing in his reg- resignation to the guys <laughs> on the bench, I don't think there's much he could do there. Unless he's literally saying, "Guys, you're better off without me. Finish <laughs> this game without me, please. I've had enough." So, and then Riddick gets pulled after the timeout. I know people were pointing that out. Like, what? Is, like, when have you ever seen that before? Well, again, this guy can't make up his mind about anything. It's so stupid. Like, every decision he makes is, like, a few degrees off. Yeah, it's true. So, Big Snag Zag comes in, looks more like Big Snag, Big Sag Zag. (laughs) (laughs) That first goal, man. um, Woo! That was bad. Yeah, that was weird. It was a change-up, though. I mean... I'll I'll say this. It was one of the weakest goals I have seen since... The goal from outside the blue line. <laughs> oh boy. And then um that's followed up by a completely embarrassing display of defense, which I think sums up the game, sums up a good portion of the season. Yeah. Um, where Backla Backland is completely mesmerized by watching Noah ha- Noah Hannafin fall flat on his face in the corner, that he leaves his guy absolutely all on the front. And that was uh, that was the you know was that the that was the sixth goal right there. That was some rank. That was rank right there. So there's your game one recap. Um, again, like I I don't see how there's for me watching. There's no sign that this team is working on defensive zone coverage in practice because these are like little fundamental things that if you were like okay when I played junior, like we would spend and I get it because these guys don't practice as much, but there's still time like when you're traveling to go over this shit where it's just like you, you actually go through the motions of where you need to be positionally in each zone, whether you're in the O zone, how you want to set up your four check, how you want to set up your defensive um, play in the neutral zone and your defensive zone coverage in the D zone. Like how does Backlund just come in, watch two guys. Like it's man, it's man to man coverage. You have two centers down low and you have two flames defensemen down low grade two math <laughs> will tell you that if you go down there below the goal line 
with two of your players that are already there, that means there's somebody else not accounted for who then becomes the goal scorer. And this is Michael Backlund. This is like, you know, Mr. Selkie, Mr. Selkie, like you're, you know, if, if not your top, one of your top two defensive players you have on the team, I just don't understand what's going on. Well, and again, like count how many times this year have those kind of goals happen where it's just like, how is that guy so wide open? Yeah. Like, how does that even happen? And look, the only, if I'm the coach and repeatedly, like you just said, there's guys being left wide open. Then I just go right back to the fundamentals, slow it down, simplify it even more where you actually get the whistle out and you say, okay, this is what we used to do. You, the puck's here. Now the puck moves to this side of the ice. Now, how do you want to set up? Right. And it's just like, you stop, you set up, you stop, you set up. So you got to re-ingrain all these fundamentals. I do not see them working on this. Well, and again, it sure would be nice if somebody from, from the media, like these guys are always at practices. Why aren't they reporting to me on what, what they're working on rather than the fucking music every two seconds? Oh, but didn't you like that coverage of the process? Like, no, wasn't that, wasn't that pretty insightful on, you know, the inner workings of this team and the inner workings of this head coach? We've got a process. Um, the players like it. The players believe in it. It seems to be working. This is a prime example of when you stink for two weeks straight and then you finally pull out a win against the worst team in the league, that the process is starting to work. We're turning a corner here. <laughs> I just can't wait to see how the next, how this corner looks the next two weeks. If we've really turned the corner, you know, we should go on a run here. Everybody knows we're in a circle. Like that's what it is. It's this never ending circle. That's the what circle. Yeah, a like thurical. we're just going to go around and around in this dumb shit forever and ever and ever. It's like a thurical. I don't know. What, I don't know what movie that's from, but <laughs> so there's your game one recap. It was a fun game, hey? I'm pretty sure so, everybody collectively had had it after that the, game. Yeah. If if people were you know not at the brink yet, then this game literally not only brought everybody to that brink, pushed them off the cliff. Like well, that was and- it. <laughs> Prior to this game, we were saying we saw this. We were like, you can't play like you did in those two Toronto games and expect to win. And everyone's like, oh, come on. You got three out of four points. It's like, yeah, but you got smoked. Look at the positives. You shouldn't have won games and you did. Isn't that a positive? So then you go in to play against Ottawa. You play the exact same way. I don't care if you want to say the players didn't show up. They played exactly how they did against the Leafs in those two games. But this time they didn't get insane goaltending. And that was the result. Shocker. That game did have that weird, like, funk to it, though. It's kind of like th- there's usually, like, you know, in, a, in an 82 game se- season, there's usually like two or three of those games a season where it's just like, doesn't matter what's going on, you're not winning. It's just like a weird, I think that was maybe one of those games. But like you said, the best teams still don't lose those games. Well, they just barely, yeah. they barely win them. That's the but other they, thing that I keep hearing from people. It's like, oh, they're so consistently inconsistent. It's like, do you know what good teams are? Consistent. Do you know what teams that are not good are? Inconsistent. This team's not good enough. That's the analysis. I, I think I don't even I don't even know if that's true. I think they're inconsistently consistent. Like they're like they're, like just they're bad. Not, they're not good. Yeah. Like if you look at their underlyings, their underlyings are consistent. They tell you the same story, the same storyline throughout the whole season. And that's what we keep coming back to is like, look. The results aren't telling you, aren't giving you a good indication of exactly what's going on. 
right? That's where these underlyings come in. Even though most of the results stink. Again, like we're fifth in the North Division. Our playoff chances are like terrible right now. Yeah. So where were you at after that game one? Because obviously we had, I don't know what the podcast would have been like (laughs) if we recorded Rita after that and didn't have a win in between. But where were you at personally? Well, I mean, if you listen to the last one, we were losing our minds and we had got three or four points, right? (laughs) So I think you can just extrapolate a bit. Maybe it's too bad. eh? That would have been hilarious. Yeah. uh, What that would have been like. But well, I mean, again, like, I, I've kind of been, not that I'm checked out, but it's like, that's what, if you're going to play like that, that's what you can expect. Yeah. And even, even this last game, like I'm, listen, we've talked about this last season where, you know, being a fan of this team is like being in an abusive relationship where you yeah. don't know when to leave. And I, sorry, I'm not back in. No, me I, I'm not, I'm, I'm so far from being sucked back in um, that it's not even close. So even in, even when we're winning games like that, I'm still not like emotionally invested in the win. And I'm the thing pretty detached. Yeah. The thing, the place most people are at, I think after the six, one drubbing was like, okay, something's got to give. Right. Yeah. And, and I honestly, dude, if they, if they would have lost again, I think that if tree living didn't make a move and remove the coach, then Trevling would have been removed. I honestly think that the if if that happened one more time, I honestly think that something would have happened or ownership would have stepped in. Um, and the fact that the opposite happened and they they struck together a convincing win um, on the score sheet, anyways, the the suffering has been prolonged. Like that's how this works. Well, yeah, that's how I feel. Because again, I think everybody was at the same place after the six one game. I think the real question is where are you at now? And that's where I'm at. It's like, okay, this is just, this is just a small detour and what's ultimately going to be more problems. I think. Well, and, and, and the reason why we say that is you didn't play as well as the score indicated. And sometimes the, you know, the opposite is true, right? Where if you get beat, you know, it's like, look at the Leafs in that first game. If you're Keldon Sheldon Keefe, are you upset with, with the Leafs' performance in game one against us? No. You're like, listen, guys, just keep playing like that. That's when you trust the process. Yeah, exactly. When, winning, when you're winning all the underlying numbers, you know, in, in a matchup against an opponent, but you're not getting a win, that's when you trust the process. You trust the process when the process is good and the results aren't quite there, and then the results start coming like they have for the Leafs. You don't exactly. trust the process when <laughs> the process sucks and the results suck. That's why if you're in the media, you need to question this process because what process, what, what it, what is working? And that's what cracks me up too. Is like, you listen to the clip at the top of this is like, no, now you're seeing the results. What? (laughs) You're, you're fifth in the division. You stink. What do you mean? Now you're seeing the results. Jeff, uh, you, you know, you brought your record back up to 500 (laughs) results, baby. It's absurd. So you sent me this after the game because look, where we left off on the last podcast um, is coming to a place of as far as long as we continue to struggle and we don't make those internal changes, you know, roster management system wise that lead to, like you said, indication that the process is working. Um, then there's underlying issues with this club, and I don't see it changing unless change is made. Go figure. 
Well, but, the other thing is too, like if Markstrom, when Markstrom comes back and now that these lines are kind of looking better, the flames could do what they always do, which is string together a bit of a heater like they did last year over the seven game stretch. Like they did the year when Gullets, when they had the 10 game win streak and weren't very good that year, they could string together, especially with the Markstrom factor, you could string together a good stretch and maybe sneak into the playoffs, but ultimately it doesn't fix the bigger issues. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like the Oilers. Yeah. We see it with the Oilers every year, you know, they just go on a, what, what they just won seven out of eight games. Right. So they put together a stretch, but you know, ultimately there's probably still not good enough. Even with the two best players in the league, right. Yeah. If they're going to play Toronto, I don't know. They still have the wild card factor for me always. Cause they have the two best players in the league, but you know, they're, they're, they're kind of like us just, just different. They're us, except their issues, their strengths are extrapolated and their weaknesses are extrapolated. Yeah, but I mean, look, look at this club on paper. Look at the skill. Regardless of all your shortcomings, you should still be above 500. So they're underachieving even, you know, under the conditions of having a bad coach. They're still underachieving. So yeah, if they string together a couple wins or string together, you know, a bunch of wins. Um, I hope they do, right? And look, you're at a point in the season where you're playing the worst team in the league. This is the time to do it. If you look at Vancouver, if you look at Edmonton, I think even Winnipeg, some of these teams that have, have put together some, some good stretches, it's come off the hands of a series against Ottawa. So, you know, there's nothing like playing consecutive bad teams to kind of start to feel your form again. Right. Cause you're not getting beat so bad every night. So let's just hope that that's the case. Look, we don't want this team to suck at all. You know, even though sometimes it may sound like, you know, but you know, but I still want them to win. Well, dude, like, come on. Like, especially when it looks like it, regardless of what happens, there's probably not going to be changes made. Yeah. Like, the only thing that like I want them to win because I can't really cheer for anything else because I don't think change is going to come if they continue to stink. So like really the only thing to do is sit back and hope they can figure it out and string something together. And again, 100%. do you think, do you think we do this if we, if we didn't love this team and, uh, and wanted them to lose? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Did we talk about team metrics on, on game two? I don't not, think we talked about that yet. Uh, so let, not particularly. I can run over them. I know we touched on, on, you know, the 3M line was awesome. Yeah. But in terms of you didn't actually really outplay the Senators that bad as much as the score indicated. Yeah. Like, I mean, okay. So they, they won the possession battle, but it wasn't crazy. The Flames controlled it at 56%, 56 shot attempts for 43 against. Um, where it does get interesting, though, is that Ottawa actually had more high danger chances at five on five. They had eight or the Flames only had five. So the Flames still kind of struggled to produce, you know, five on five scoring chances, which has been the issue this entire year. Um, so, yeah, again, not a slam dunk. Holy crap. Did the Flames absolutely come out and dominate? They finally got a bit of puck luck. Like I said, off the top of this, like some of those goals probably shouldn't have gone in. So. But the thing about the first two goals right? You have controlled ozone oh. entry with yeah. possession that lead to two goals. So enough of this dump and chase. Like, I don't 
know. Um, maybe it's just the Senators. They're obviously they're that bad. They're the worst team in the league. Um, so maybe they don't, you know, do a good enough job. Maybe they haven't done the scouting report on the on the Flames. Maybe we'll see them do that as the series goes on. But Johnny had more room to walk through the neutral zone. Mangiapane was able to carry the puck through the neutral zone. Um, listen, I'm at a place where look, I don't. I'm not saying that you should never dump the puck in, right? But this is the way I always approached it. it was like you should only give the puck away intentionally as a last resort. It shouldn't be your go-to. It shouldn't right? be the default ever. No, it should never. Giving the puck away should never be the default ever. Now, if you're if you're approaching the blue line and you know there's guys kind of closing the gap around you, and you're like, shit, I don't really have a passing lane. I don't think I can carry this in. Then you chip it in, right? But if you have, and this is, I guess, this is twofold. If you have a wide open lane like we saw with Johnny and Manjipani, you take it. But the other side of this is that you need to create more of your own chances and support through the neutral zone so that you can maintain that possession. And unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be a system that Jeff Ward is rolling out with his team. He's totally fine with just rifling it up and chipping it in. And it starts with the breakout, right? Like how many times have you seen a guy with a lane, like a defenseman specifically, like again, like you said last time, how many times have you seen a defenseman go zone to zone this year? Like none, because yeah. any even if there's a lane open, they're they're control they're backing off, they're waiting till everyone's set, and then you pass it up. So I we we saw I don't know we'll see if it was just like <laughs> again maybe the Senators are just terrible at controlling the neutral zone, maybe the Flames actually did make an adjustment, but you did see them a little more spread out in the neutral zone last night or yesterday. You did see them creating more space. You did see guys carrying the puck from zone to zone. And wow, you, you got two goals off the rush. What a surprise, right? So it starts with the breakout. It's not just they get the puck and dump it in. Because if you break out and you have the puck and there's no other option to dump it in, dump it in. But like you said, your system shouldn't be designed around the premise of when we get the puck in our own zone, we're going to move it up the ice with the intention to dump it in and go get it. That's stupid. Yeah. And the reason why we bring this up again, because we do talk about it at nauseum, but if, if we're, um, you know, pinpointing, pinpointing this as, you know, the underlying issues behind this team's failures, then we're going to continue to talk about it. But the, you know, those first two goals just show you the effect of when you have skilled guys, guys with the amount of skill that Johnny Goudreau has to create and generate plays. If he can carry the puck in and gets in, you know, into the, the offensive zone with possession, how many times that like guaranteed five times out of, out of 10, he'll make something out of nothing. Right. And depending on your opponent that, you know, may be increased. Whereas when Johnny Goudreau and his line dumps the puck in, they're maybe retrieving it two times out of 10. So, I mean, just do the fucking math. Exactly. So the flames didn't, they didn't necessarily dominate the, the, the senators this last game. So I don't get where all this like, Oh yeah, we're good now comes from, but um, you know, maybe part of that too, where the numbers weren't as, as good as you would expect by looking at the score is, you know, they got up early, right? Sometimes when you get up early, you do all your damage early. Yeah. Um, you know, the other team's more desperate, so they push back and, you know, it might be skewed a little bit. I know some of the numbers account for that, but um, I don't know. I, I think this is, a, we're at a very fascinating um, time and point in the season because this, this little series with the worst team in the league 
Um, it's a gift in a sense of you can get your shit together, but it's going to be also very telling. It's going to be, it's going to give us a better evaluation of what we have than, than playing the Leafs. Totally. 100%. So like you said, I think me, like we're not trying to be silly and like and negative when we say, Oh, we're the best team in the world now. And like shitting all over that. This is a building block, but you have to build on it. You can't just do this and then like dip again and continue this up and down. And you can't, you can't take the adjustments that worked yesterday and just kind of throw them to the side. If this is a win, you can build off. You have to build off of it. You have to lay it as a foundation and get putting some and string some wins together here and string some good hockey together here, because just saying, Oh, we're good. Now process is good. is not going to be enough because how many times have we seen this? We've seen yeah. it already this year. Even it's like, there's the breakthrough game. They finally blah, 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 played a full 60 minutes against the Winnipeg jets. It's going to be all rosy from here. It's oh. just funny. It's just funny how if they're, if they win, you know, the consensus says, oh, the effort was there tonight. Yeah. And when they lose, it's like, oh, there's a lack of effort tonight. It's so dumb. So, yeah. The re- like you said, the reason why I bring that up is by all metrics and all statistics, the process still isn't working, but something to build off of potentially. I think I want to wrap things up with, um, you know, just bringing this back to the overall issues that we've seen this season. Um, a lot of them come back to the system that Jeff Ward has him rolled out, which then come back to the man that employs Jeff Ward tree living. Um, and, you know, you had sent me something with regards to the situation that Brad walked into when coming in as the general manager of this team, I want you to paint that picture because if you're looking at, you know, where things have gone from when he first took office to where they are now. And if, if, you know, this continuing to employ Jeff Ward, if he is the issue, um, that the, uh, comes right back to Tree Living. So it, it, we're just at a place right now where we really have to look at Tree Living and what he's done and, and just kind of really deeply evaluate that. But I liked what you sent me. Well, what I was talking about was like, okay, everybody, it's just because this, this whole like, oh, Tree Living has done everything for this organization. He's given this core every chance to win. Because the, con- the biggest conversation right now, and I think it's a false dichotomy, is is it the guys who are here or is it the coaching staff or is it the management that's at fault here? So I just want to lay the scene of what Brad Tree Living walked into in terms of like, could you, could you have a better situation to build off of? So here's Brad Living's foundation when he took over the team, 2014-2015. Michael Backlund, 25 years old. Sam Bennett, 18 years old. TJ Brody, 24 years old. Johnny Gaudreau, 21 years old. Mark Giordano, 31 years old. Sean Monahan. And a 31 Mark Giordano had not even come close to peaking yet. You had two guys who are just hitting their prime in backs, Backlund and Giordano, and probably Brody too. But I mean, come on, like TJ Brody was 24 back then. Like that's like you had an unbelievable foundation of just players, not to mention the fact that you had pretty much clear books, no anchor contracts, no big money deals that were weighing you down. I mean, sure, your prospect cupboard was a little bit bare, but I mean... Again, it's not that bare if Johnny Gaudreau's 21 and he's on your roster, right? So I just look at what he walked into. And some, is- of the, and some of the performance we've seen during his tenure, i.e. Johnny Gaudreau. 
And then you look at the, the performances. I've talked about this a lot, the individual performances and seasons that were kind of wasted. Johnny Gaudreau, MVP caliber between in 2017, 2018, and 2018-2019. You can't look at me and tell me Sean Monaghan wasn't the best, one of the best goal scorers in 2017-2018 and 2018-2019. Mark Giordano has won a Norris trophy for this team. He's Mark been a candidate Giordano, how many times? Mark Giordano has been probably the best defenseman in the past 10 years, league-wide in terms of his on-ice play. You look at performances you've got from your goaltenders, like even Mike Smith that one year, now Jacob Markstrom. Like, I, I just look at how, how, much this, how much Brad has squandered this foundation that he was given, right, that he didn't create. That's where I, I, I kind of point people towards. It's like, because we always bring this up too, right? Now I'm getting on a total rant. Is like, look at what the other teams have built comparatively what like look at the moves the vegas golden knights have made mark stone max petretti alex petrangelo look what the blues have done ryan o'reilly tyler bozak tory Krug. look at what um like it's just you can go up and down you the list colorado a lot yeah colorado burakovsky don skoy devon taves like the, nazim kadri they've they've made all these moves to make their team better and it's just it's gonna it's just it's really I don't understand how you can look at this and say Brad hasn't really molded this. Like he's had seven years, seven years. He's had to make this team his own. Who on this team is like a Bradshaw living guy that he brought in that he drafted like Lindholm and Rasmus Anderson are probably the two only impact players on this team right now. And I guess Mark's from two. Manjipani. Manjipani. But man, it's just, it's kind of frustrating when you look at what this guy walked into and the performances he's got. And he just hasn't taken this team to the next level. And look how he continues to employ Jeff Ward and stick with him, right? Um, we're not saying he's all good. We're not saying he's all bad. Um, we're saying there's something in the, somewhere in the middle. And without proper analysis, how do you really evaluate the GM, right? Because you're not getting, you know, an in-depth analysis from um, a, a biased media, Sorry, but that's that's how it seems to come across, right? Um, you know, maybe maybe organizations like uh, what's that one that you subscribe to, the hockey, whatever. Oh, the athletic. The athletic. Yeah. You know, maybe you're going to get some unbiased, you know, evaluation of what Tree Living's done from them, um, but you're not getting from Calgary Media, man. Like they're they're more obsessed with talking about. How much guys care as well, a basis for the success of a of an eighty two game season? The reason I text you that is because the guys on the fan the other day like we're going off about how it's time to blow the team up, blow this team up. They've had their run, time to blow it up. No mention of okay, the guy who is the architect behind this team for the for seven years. Like, why don't we talk to him about this? Like, I just it frustrates me to no end that. And this, this is the clearest analysis you've given. And I think it's the best example that it's been seven years and Johnny Gaudreau has been playing the majority of the season with Dominic Simone. Like it's been seven years. I don't get how nobody can just say, you know what? Like the architect of this team, maybe we should question him a little bit, like put some heat on him for once. Cause he's been under no heat. It seems to me ever. Even during, like, look back at every kind of uh, drama or failing of this team. Has there ever really been anybody with eyes on him? 
Bill Peters situation? Nope. I mean, the situation even before all the Bill Peters stuff, where Bill Peters was thinking out the joint, nobody said, man, maybe Brad should, uh, you know, make a move or something. Brad comes on TV, says nobody's coming. And everyone's like, oh, cool. You know, like go up and down the list, the hiring of Galton, the firing of Hartley, the, the playoff performances, the never adding stuff, like the wasted draft picks. Like, I don't understand how nobody can, how nobody can start looking upstream at this. It's just really frustrating. And we're not saying it's all his fault, but no. there, there is definitely fault there. So, you know, to say the opposite, that none of it's his fault is fucking ridiculous. Absolutely. Okay, let's close up on um, some people asking you this whole Eichel thing starting to get some traction. And um, listen, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what people are smoking, but I want some of it. <laughs> if they, if they think that the Buffalo Sabers are going to be trading, what one of the top five players in the league? Like, Who you don't, like- you, you don't trade a top five player in the league in their prime years. Maybe unless you're, you're the Oilers. But you, you don't do that to rebuild. You rebuild around that guy if you're going to rebuild. So I don't see, I don't know. Is there any scenario where, where Buffalo trades Jack Eichel? Like what, like how do they, like if you're the GM, like how are you arguably making your team better by trading away one of the top five players in the game? I mean, I think this really only comes to like, is Eichel going to say, I want the hell out of here? Sure. That's maybe the only like, okay, maybe it happens then. But from a organizational standpoint, you are not trading Jack Eichel, period. Like from a business standpoint. Like how, if you're a Buffalo like, Sabres fan and they trade Jack Eichel, will you ever cheer for that or support that team ever again? Not only that, but like how many, like Connor McDavid sells hockey tickets. Sidney Crosby in his prime sells hockey tickets. Alexander Richie in his prime. Johnny Gaudreau sells hockey tickets. A guy like Jack Eichel sells hockey tickets. So from a business perspective, I don't, even if your team stinks, right? You're probably, you're not going to do a full on rebuild and move them. You're going to try and do one of these little tinker jobs, right? It's just like, um, I don't know. I, I don't see him. I don't see him as a potential trade chip. Well, yeah, neither do I. And I mean, the other thing is too, is like, what, unless on, said, like you said, he wants out, but yeah, unless he says they want out, but like, what on earth could you offer the Buffalo Sabres where, unless he's demanding a trade, they're going to say yes to you. Are you really willing to give up Matthew Kachuk and like two firsts and Dylan Dubé and Andrew Mangiapane? Maybe you are, but that's probably what it would take. Like this oh, is Exactly. Like in the end, is that going to make you better? I don't know. But like, I mean, everyone's like, oh, could we get Eichel? No, I don't think we could. I don't think it, it makes sense for either club for what you have to trade for. I think either club would want to do it. The only scenario in which you, you are, you would trade for Jack Eichel if you're the Calgary Flames, if is let's say next year Eichel says, I'm done, get me the hell out of here. And you, Resign Johnny Gautreau and Matthew Kachuk to long-term deals and use your American connections to get them to recruit him or some shit like that. <laughs> but yeah, no, no chance Jack Eichel's being traded, especially to the Flames, in my opinion. Now, somebody that may be a good trade opportunity, you're looking at how Nashville is absolutely tanking. 
Um, it, it, uh, it's been already been said publicly that nobody's safe except for who? Did they say anybody was safe? I think they said Yossi and Ellis. This is from Elliot Friedman. I I, I heard it on his podcast. Um, two, it was two Yossi Ellis. Yeah, Yossi Ellis and like maybe they, I think that was the only two. He said maybe Dante Fabro, but probably not. So really Yossi and Ellis are the only guys who are not going anywhere. And so Pecor, the, Pecorine, I guess, but. The, the guy we're honing in on here is Philippe Forsberg. You want to talk about a perfect fit, perfect solution for this top six gaping hole that you had for the past three, five years. You know, this dire need, especially if you want to put Lindholm at center for a winger for Johnny and Monty. Well, even if you want yeah, exactly. If you want to put Lindholm at center or right wing, whatever, if you had Philip Forsberg, that is, that's, this is the remedy that ails the Calgary Flames. Big time. Now, now, of course, already being reported, Brad Tree Living's in on it. So you can bet your dollar that, you know, any guy that becomes available, Brad Tree Living will be air quotes in on it. Um, I think if he hasn't learned by now that he needs to maybe up his ante or get a little more creative when he comes to these drawing boards of like offerings with these teams, um, he, he, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, man. Like, obviously you don't want to risk making your team worse, but you got, you got, I don't know. It, here's the other thing. Imagine we get Forsberg and we still have Ward. Like Forsberg doesn't play. He's on the bench. He's just, he's scratched because he like gave the puck away once. No, but he's Swedish. He's probably friends with Lindholm. So he would definitely play like every single night. Oh, he's Swedish. Isn't he? he's he's older though right so he he might uh maybe backland knows him i think he's like near the same age he's definitely swedish or maybe he's uh yeah he's swedish um i think he's like 26 yeah he's 26 so he's right in that lindholm age group he's probably oh, okay. buds with those guys anyways this is the type of guy you need obviously this would be um, the perfect fit this is if and if he's actually available i'm not saying he's like the best player in the league this guy's a right-handed shot, right winger who can snipe. This is exactly what you need. And you know what? Like, if we hear that Brad Living was in on this, and somebody else gets him, and Brad is second or third on him, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna lose my mind. I can't take this shit anymore. Either get the guy or don't bother. Yeah. So, what do you think it would take to get a guy like Philippe Forsberg? Well, you're probably looking at a first. Obviously, it takes a couple phone calls from your, you know, your, your one of your probably your three of your 15 Swedes you have on your team. Yeah, it probably takes a, a nice little hello from Markstrom. You know, at this point, fuck, take the first man. Yeah, I, dude, I'm totally in agreement. Like, like look, look what we've gotten in our, in our last few firsts. Like, when, you, when you're picking later down the lineup, I'll take Forsberg for three years, please. Yeah, he makes six million right now. Um, that extends it to next year. So you'd get him for one more year at 6 million. So you'd have to move out some money. So you're probably looking at a first. And I mean, I don't know how creative move you move over get. Sam Bennett. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you willing to trade Noah Hannafin at this point for a guy like Forsberg? I don't know. I don't know if they want defensemen. They probably want futures. I'm assuming if they're kind of rebuilding, maybe. Yeah, but I, mean, the- I think that's, that's a better a better scenario right is like because what do we have really 
I don't know. I guess, I guess there's some kind of more dead weight that, but how do you get rid of dead weight? You don't, you don't get, you don't get value back for getting rid of dead weight. Right? The problem is you have the killer of Lucic right now still killing you. Like you've got to be able, if you're bringing Forsberg in, you got to be somehow moving 6 million out. So somehow you have to do that. So even if you want to say, yeah, trade first in Dubé for Forsberg, you still have to somehow move out almost 6 million bucks. So how are you going to do that? That's going to be the question. Who that uh, flop of a 6 million James Neal signing is really hurting it. Eh? continues to haunt us yeah we could use that extra million in a bit we're still buying troy Brara with eh? so forsberg is the guy i would be targeting like crazy if you can get him you have to get him if you're bratchy living enough's enough with this dicking around go get him if he's available period